KPCW news time is 8.06. Well, it's not surprising given that we're at the kickoff of a holiday weekend and there's some amazing snow here that we've got some serious traffic backups this morning. Um, we're seeing backups, you know, typically bad, maybe a little worse than usual backups on both 248 and 224. We're also seeing a major slowdown uh, coming eastbound into the city on parlays. That may be because the snow is arriving a little earlier than we expected. But let's find out what's going on with our weather and whether Thomas Geeboy is going to be able to continue with this streak of amazing snow that's given us fabulous ski conditions. <clears throat> Thomas, what are we looking at? Well, in the mountains, and to your point, yeah, I mean, it's great ski conditions. Over the last 48 hours, both Park City Mountain and Deer Valley have both picked up over a foot of snow. And as we're seeing out there currently, we're going to be looking at more snow as we go through today. So there is another system that's going to be quickly working through. We're seeing more showers filling in from the north. So we are seeing some spot showers throughout the Wasatch back. And one of the places that is currently seeing snow is in Park City. I'm actually looking at the Kimball Junction exit out on I-80. And cars really aren't moving anywhere quick. And the roads are running a little bit slushy. And to your point, we are looking at cars slowly working their way in from Parley's Canyon. So anyone going up to Park City at this point, it's just a good idea to build an extra time. And we're going to hold on to the chance for scattered snow showers, more or less as we go from the morning into the afternoon. Roughly a two and three chance really at any point today that if you're in the Wasatch back, snow could find you as that daytime high in Park City will come in right around freezing while in Heber we could sneak into the mid and upper 30s. But in Park City, we still could see some minor accumulations down in Park City itself, maybe on the magnitude of one to three inches. So not expecting too much in the way of significant accumulations. But that potential does exist while Park City Mountain and Deer Valley could maybe see several inches plus depending on if everything comes together. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that we can just keep the snow train rolling as we go through the day today. As we move into tonight, the quick moving storm system will start to pull away. The chance for snow will gradually wind down as we go from this afternoon into tonight. And by the overnight hours, we'll transition to partly cloudy skies. And with our winds out of the north, it's going to be turning a little bit chillier compared to what we've seen in some days as the overnight low tonight in Park City dropping to 15 degrees. But if you want to get out and enjoy the snow as we begin the holiday weekend, Saturday could be a bluebird day. Mostly sunny to partly cloudy skies with a daytime high right around 35 degrees. Some nice conditions across the Wasatch back, very seasonal for this time of year. But as quickly as the high pressure builds in, it's going to be moving right away because as we go from Saturday night into Sunday, we're going to start to see energy and moisture filter in from the southwest. And by the overnight hours on Saturday night into Sunday, the chance for snow will to increase. And by Sunday, we'll be looking at an 80% chance of snow. But in Park City, it could get a little bit interesting because the daytime high could climb into the upper 30s, mm. meaning I'm thinking in Park City we'll mainly see snow. But there could be some spots, especially in the Wasatch back, that could see rain and snow. We're back to partly cloudy skies on Sunday night. And for our President's Day, just a slight chance of seeing snow with the daytime high likely climbing into the low 40s in Park City. So that chance of wet weather is going to be there, just not all that high, but the chance for wet weather ramps back up as we move into the middle of the week as Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday will all likely bring at least a 50-50 chance or greater of finding wet weather. And with daytime highs likely staying in the low 40s, thanks to that southwesterly flow, even in places like Park City, we could see times of rain and snow. While at this point, I still think it's mainly going to be snow in Park City. And then a better chance of just seeing straight snow on Thursday with those daytime highs kind of dialing back into the 30s where we should be for this time of year. But if we're going to keep the active weather train rolling, it's just going to come and go waves as we go through the next seven days, Roger. Okay, Thomas, we've been talking with Thomas Giboy of ABC4, who, by the way, looked really good sporting a Real Salt Lake jersey earlier this week. Thanks, Thomas, and have a good weekend. <laughs> you too, and can't wait for the season. Let's find out what this rather unsettled weather picture means for the backcountry. On the phone, I've got Greg with the Utah Avalanche Center with today's conditions. 
Yeah, good morning. Um, and certainly this unsettled weather has led to some unsettled avalanche conditions. Um, we had a lot of avalanche activity yesterday. For anyone that was out yesterday, there was a period oh, late morning through early afternoon, about a four-hour period of heavy snowfall. And uh, we went through a widespread natural avalanche cycle. And that can happen during periods of heavy snowfall. And I'm, and I'm thinking that we have a chance of that repeating this afternoon, but it all depends upon that snowfall. Um, we're going with an, a considerable avalanche danger today on all aspects at the mid and upper elevations. I'm primarily concerned about wind loading. Um, we have strong winds at the upper elevations right now, and I think they can get down to some mid-elevation terrain with plenty of loose snow. I think the chance for finding some, um, uh, some fresh wind slabs, uh, reactive wind slabs, will be likely today. So I'm primarily concerned about wind-drifted snow, but if snowfall does pick up this afternoon, um, definitely want people to watch for these rapidly changing conditions and you could find some soft slabs of that storm snow uh, or long running sloughs. And our persistent weak layer, you know, we're, we're, we're ready to put this thing to bed. We are so tired of talking about it, but one resort in the Cottonwoods did get an avalanche to fail on that um, weak faceted snow down near the ground. So definitely keep it in the back of your mind. It's gonna be a mid and upper elevation northerly facing slopes. Uh, I'm hopeful that in about seven days, we're, we're expecting a lot more snow um, over this next week. Uh, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to put that thing to bed for the rest of the season, but um, it's definitely staying in the back of my mind. I think the most um, in-your-face avalanche conditions people will be finding today, though, but that wind-drifted snow and, uh, and some reactive storm snow, uh, particularly during this afternoon. Yeah, and pattern just looks active. You know, tomorrow looks great, but more snow on the way, and we're going to be expecting some heavier snow um, and that may complicate conditions um, later this weekend and into next week, but we'll worry about that for when the time comes. Thanks, Greg, and have a good weekend. You as well, Roger. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, I've got Liz Steven here in the studio with me, who we'll be talking to in just a minute. After that, we'll be speaking with Rich Rector, the host of Rich Tones Jazz, which airs every Friday and Saturday nights here on KPCW. Then we'll be joined by City Council Member Bill Sirocco, who'll be recapping last night's meeting, and we'll finish our hour by speaking with Ember Conley, the Executive Director of the Park City Institute, about the unveiling of the upcoming summer concert series. But let's first, let's talk to Liz Steven. Good morning, Liz, and thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Liz, Liz is with Park City Ski. Yeah, Park City Ski and Snowboard. And I'm the, the comp team coach um, for the Nordic athletes. Okay, Liz, and I know you're here to tell us about an upcoming watch party. I, I understand that the cross-country World Cup is coming to the United States for the first time in a while. Yeah, you know, the, this is a huge deal for the U.S. because our the last World Cup that was on American soil was 23 years ago, and it was actually here at Soldier Hollow, and it was the year before we hosted the Games. Um, Minneapolis, Minnesota is, is where it's being hosted. Um, they tried during, you know, they had it all scheduled to go, I think it was 2019, but it may have been 2020, um, and then COVID hit. And so they, they ended up having to cancel, and they, they lost a lot of money, and these World Cups are not cheap to put on. So this is a really big deal that they got it again. Um, and what's even cooler about it is that the local favorite, um, her name's Jessie Diggins, as I'm sure many of you have heard of, who's the current overall World Cup leader. Um, she is actually the hometown kind of hero of 
Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota. So um, it's a very special thing for her to be racing at home um, as she's kind of the veteran on the team now. Now, Minneapolis may have its local favorite, but I suspect we have a different local favorite or two here in Park City. Do we have some local athletes racing? Yeah, you know, we do. Um, we have a, a couple locals, one of, one of which, uh, Rosie Brennan. She's currently ranked fourth overall. Um, and this is, you know, this is a big deal uh, to be to have athletes even really ranked in these top 10 positions um, in the overall World Cup is a relatively new development, um, certainly in the last 10 years. So um, the other local favorite uh, who grew up here and currently races at the University of Utah, her name's Sydney Palmer Ledger. Um, I actually work with her brother, Drew, who is also a local skier and biker here in town. Um, and then we have eight on the team. So um, there's this team is bigger than our normal World Cup team um, because of, because it's on American soil. We get some extra spots, and so there'll be 12 athletes racing in each gender over the weekend, and eight of those 12, um, or eight of those 24, I should say, are either current or graduates of the University of Utah. So Utah has quite a few um, athletes competing, and just in general, the U.S. ski team always trains here in October, so the kids I coach have met, you know, a majority of the athletes that they'll get to watch on TV, which is really special. There is something special about being able to watch a sporting event with an appreciative crowd, and I understand that's going to be possible for this event because you guys are sponsoring a watch party tomorrow. Yeah, you know, we partnered with an incredible partner for us, um, Park City Brewing here in Kimball Junction, and we are going to be there. They're going to be hosting the watch party from 11 to 1.30 on Saturday, so tomorrow. Um, and it's open to the community. You know, it's like we really want this to be a big, a big thing. Uh, the race actually begins at 1130 and it will go through till one. It's a skate sprint. So don't be intimidated if you've never watched a Nordic race. Like, please come on down. We'll have plenty of people to explain it um, as needed and plenty of TVs to watch it on. And a portion of the food and beverage sales um, will go back to Park City Ski and Snowboard. So big thanks to Park City Brewing. So uh, I guess Liz is encouraging you to come out, support our local athletes, support the American team, and support Park City Ski and Snowboard. That's tomorrow morning at Park City Brewing Company. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Roger. So every Friday at 10 p.m. and every Saturday at 11 p.m., KPCW airs its original jazz program, Rich Tones Curated Jazz with Rich Rector. Rich is in the studio this morning to tell us a bit about the program and give you a sense of what you will hear when you tune in. Good morning, Rich. Good morning, Roger. Rich, let's start with a little bit of background. Give us a, can you give our audience a general description of what the show is like and what made you want to create it? Well, it, you know, I'm not a musician, but I'm a guy who listens to music a lot. And I've been around music all my life. And so, and I've always, you know, I have a license plate that says jazz. You know, I have the personalized plate. So, it, you know, obviously something very near and dear to me. So I came to the station manager and I asked Renee, I said, hey, you know, I think you need a jazz show. And she said, well, you know, um, your timing's good because we're looking at some programming changes. And, but she said, you got to commit to do one show a week for a year. And it's like, okay, well, I'm in year two and a half now. And about how many shows have you produced, Rich? Wow. Uh, I'm, I think right now I'm on 129. Okay. And um, let's talk a little bit, try to give the audience a little bit more of a sense of what's going to happen when they tune in. As I understand it, and as I've listened to it, each show tends to have a unifying theme. So can we share some examples of the kinds of themes you select and the kinds of music you discuss? What do we got coming up this week? 
Well, yeah, this week is actually the Jazz Grammy winners because uh, they never show that on the TV thing, you know. <laughs> well, we had to see Taylor. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so the, the, there are a whole set of Grammys that are awarded to jazz artists, correct? Yeah, there are. You know, there's the, you know, the categories are funny. They have, like, the best record, best album, uh, best um, Latin album. There's a whole series of... of uh, you know, awards that they give out. So I'm going to focus on a few of those, not all of them, but uh, it should be fun to, to hear a wide variety. And, and one of those, I, I take it, is big band type jazz? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they have, a, I think it's called Large Ensemble mm -hmm. Best Album or something like that. And this year was the Count Basie Orchestra. And, uh, you know, just really fun, fun stuff. I, I love big bands. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to hear that. Let's play a little bit of a clip from the Count Basie album. Rich, that, that sounds like that, that album, on the one hand, it sounds fresh. On the other hand, it sounds like it could have been written in 1956. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's the Count Basie Orchestra, right? I mean, you know, there's uh, so many iterations of that over the years. And so, you know, different uh, band directors have, you know, just carried on that whole theme from way back, you know. And in a show like that, you'll sort of t talk about where this fits in history and what it is they're trying to do that's new? Yeah, that, and also maybe point out certain instruments, like a lot of times people don't really listen to the drummer or they don't listen to the bass player sometimes, and so I'd like to point that out so maybe we'll, you know, people would focus on that while they're listening. Okay, another category that I know you've done in the past was to focus on something called scat singing. First of all, what is scat singing? Yeah, well, scat singing is basically where a person uses their voice as an instrument rather than saying words. And, it, you know, it's really fun. I mean, you, you have all these, um, you know, you think of, of Mel Torme and Ella Fitzgerald, and they had some great stuff in the past, but there's a lot of young people coming up, too. Uh, there's this one woman, her, her name is Nikki Yan, Yan, I can't think of her name now, uh, Yanofsky, that's it. Mm -hmm. And she's just now 30 years old, and she's from Canada, and she just just slays it when it comes to scat singing. So scat's not dead. No, no. <laughs> Let's hear a little mm. bit of Nikki. So she's really using her voice as an instrument, isn't she? That's exactly right. You know, sometimes it'll sound like a saxophone or, you know, uh, people can make their voice sound like a trumpet, that kind of thing. So it's, it's really fun. And, and again, this is an artist who probably tours local clubs around the country and is, 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 is out on, a local, on the music scene today. Yeah, she's from Montreal, and uh, she's made quite a name for herself. I wish, we could get, uh, <laughs> I wish we got more of those jazz artists here in Salt Lake City. It'd be yeah. nice. Okay, another thing that I know you've touched on is how many of the greatest jazz artists um, not only do original compositions, of course, but they also like to cover pop songs. Um, what are some examples that you might feature in a show? Well... I did a few shows of these where, gosh, I mean, Miles Davis playing some Michael Jackson songs, you know, that, I mean, that, that's un unusual, you would think, but, uh, but that's what they do. And uh, It anyway. sounds like a crossover between someone in the Marvel Universe and someone in the DC Universe, just not something you would necessarily expect. Exactly. Uh, but we, we have a clip of Miles Davis, who, of course, was, you know, probably the greatest trump jazz trumpeter of all time and someone i know i listen to a great deal now yeah, a hero of mine i got to see him play uh twice mm -hmm. amazing but here he is with uh michael jackson's uh human nature you know i've heard people describe human nature michael jackson in general and human nature in particular as an earworm factory i mean you hear those tunes and you just can't get them out of your head oh i know uh, that song is just you know um uh, 
so much fun to listen to. I really like that one. And, and, and you know, Davis, I mean, we, we, could, we, could, we could spend a whole hour talking about Davis and the range of things oh, yeah. he produced in his time. Uh, but obviously other people have covered pop artists as well. I, I believe you did an entire show of jazz artists covering the Beatles. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, just Beatles songs. I mean, people have covered so many of those songs. And so, you know, Bobby McFerrin, who's a vocalist, uh, sort of a scat singer as well, you know, he did this great version of uh, Baby Drive My Car. And it just, you know, it's a Beatles song that you've never heard played like that before, you know? Let's hear a little of that. So we got little pieces of scat in there. We got yeah. little, I mean, a little, little sort of reggae hint. Really, really a creative thing. And of course, you know, some artists. I know there have been jazz albums. I know George Benson did an entire album of of Beatles songs. That's exactly ago. right. Yeah, uh, I think it was it was called "The Other Side of Abbey Road." I think is what what the name of the album was. Yeah. Okay, so another show I know that you featured, and, and again, one of the wonderful things about the fact that you have this window to work on every week is that it gives you time to think about and find very interesting aspects of the jazz world. Female jazz singers have been prominent for years, but it, there has also been substantial barriers for women to break into the other aspects of jazz. Well, that's right. You know, when, when I say female jazz, people think of vocalists. And so I've done several shows focusing only on women jazz instrumentalists because people just don't think of most women playing a saxophone or a trombone. And man, they're, they're out there and they're really good. Okay, do we have a sample? Yeah, this is Jennifer Wharton and she plays the bass trombone. She has a group that actually consists of four trombonists, a piano player and a drummer. <laughs> 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 that, that's an unusual combo, not yes, one you see is. very often. Let's hear her. You know, it's like taking a brass section out of a, a large band and just having the trombones, you know, and it's really a uh, fascinating sound. That was a fascinating sound. Now, were we hearing multiple trombones? Is that what... Did, yeah, there were four in? trombones on that clip, and, you know, the bass trombone was Jennifer. Okay. Um, we talked about what's coming up this week, which is the Grammy show. Right. I, I want to give our audience a chance to hear a little bit about what's coming up next week, which I think is a pretty unusual co concept. What do yeah. we got coming, Rich? Well, you know, coming up with new ideas every week is the hardest part for me, but I decided to do one uh, next week about weird jazz instruments, you know, things you don't normally hear people play jazz on, like a banjo or a uh, bassoon or even like a steel guitar and so um and we even have uh, an oboe uh Youssef Latif who uh passed away uh, about a year ago I think uh anyway he's playing the oboe blues it's like really amazing and we got a clip from who, who do we have a clip of Rich yeah I think it's uh, Youssef, it's Youssef. Uh, on oboe blues let's, yeah. let's hear that one he was known for playing a lot of different odd instruments but uh man it's just to hear the blues on the oboe, I think, is really fascinating. <laughs> the blues on an oboe is a different thing. Okay, so we talked about when the show airs. We talked about a couple of upcoming shows. One of the things that, that, that is complex for, for us is that we cannot post <clears throat> the entire show online due to the bizarre complexities of music streaming rights. So what? how can our listeners, if they miss the show, is there a way to sort of tune into the streaming yeah. versions? What, what can we do? Well, there? absolutely. If, if you go to kpcw.org slash jazz, you'll see all of my posts uh, for the website, and every single one has a Spotify playlist of the show. So people can listen to the music that way. 
Okay. And you post that every week? Every week. And do you have, a, do you also post uh, something that let, let, lets viewers, listeners know what's coming the upcoming week? Yeah, well, not really, okay. uh, mainly because sometimes I don't know what's <laughs> coming up in the next week because, yeah. you know, it really is a challenge, but, uh, but it's a lot of fun, too. How long does it take you to put a show together, Rich? You know, in the beginning, it took about five hours to put together an hour show. It's taking me now about half that, two and a half hours. Okay. We've been talking to Rich Rector, the host of Rich Tones, which you can hear here on KPCW Friday nights at 10, Saturday nights at 11. We encourage you to tune in, and especially to tune in the week after next to hear the weird instruments. There you go. <laughs> let's, right. let's keep jazz alive. All right, Rich, thanks for spending time with us. Well, the Park City Council held its regular meeting last night, and here with a debrief for the first time since he took office is recently elected Council Member Bill Siraco. Good morning, Bill. Uh, good morning, Roger. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. So, Bill, one item on last night's agenda dealt with renovations to the pool and the mark. Where do things t stand in terms of the nature of the proposed update and, more importantly, the timeline? Well, uh, what I think is important to remember about um, the work that's going to happen over at the pools over at the mark is that um, these are long-standing needs. Um, those are assets that the city's had for a long time, and over time, you know, these things need to be replaced. Um, we're really excited about the design uh, that the architect was able to put together for our folks in our recreation apartment. Um, council looked at it last night. Most of us were... Um, um, you know, really happy with the uh, with the design, and we um, we gave our input, and there, that process is going to move forward, and we're going to try to get that done as um, quickly as we can for the for the residents here. And if people want to see those concepts, is there something on the city's website that they can look at yet? Um, we weren't at the um, schematic phase of the drawings yet. Uh, mm -hmm. That was the next step. That's what we're working on. So the conversation last night talked about how we engage with the public to make them aware uh, and help them understand what uh, what the purpose of that 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 project is. Uh, schematics will probably come in the next uh, you know handful of months, and um, the city has a has a program to get that information out to the public and get people educated. I was going to say, and I and I was going to ask, and at that point I assume there'll be an opportunity for some community input yeah I'm, I'm not exactly sure how the process will work but um, I know there will be some engagement um, you know the dreaded s word will come up I'm sure there might be some survey or survey light <laughs> type uh, reach out but um, you know we want to make sure that we're, we're executing uh, and we're serving the needs and wants of the public to the best of our ability now that doesn't mean we can do everything but we try Okay. Well, are there is there anything significantly new and different? Obviously, we can. You're going to re, the the concept is to refurbish the the swimming pool and refurbish the building. Anything that's like sort of a little out of the box, something you might not expect that they're thinking about. Yeah, I'm. I'm I, I I wouldn't call it groundbreaking, but there was a dedicated effort to to create some separation between the uses, so that um, you know your your recreational lap swimmer your your um, intense workout lap swimmer has an environment where they can do that um, and, and we can keep that separate from from the kids who uh, love to use the pool over at the mark um, you know Utah's the second driest state in the nation so uh, having a nice area where the kids can play splash pad type uh, activities 18 inch deep you know wading pool water slide uh, uh, and we made a real effort to separate those uses to the best of our ability given the constraints of the of the site Okay. The HCPA proposed a China Bridge paid parking holiday this spring, in part due to the water main project. I, I, so I know that was discussed last night. Was there anything decided? 
Yeah, we we decided to um, to to do a paid holiday during the water the water main replacement on um, I think phase one is the very lower part of of Main Street. It's a it's a three phase project. Uh, we broke it up that way so that we don't have to disrupt Main Street uh, through the busy seasons. So the intent is water main replacement will happen April, you know, uh, beginning of April as soon as we can get in the ground uh, through Jul- through about July one. And then everything gets shut down and we're ready to go for the summer uh during that period because of the disruption we thought you know it, it some argument could be made that you know free parking at china bridge is incentivizing people to get to main street i think it's more about the convenience where there's an inconvenience on main street with the the project so what can we do to make the experience of being in town easier and you know the thought was let's let's give a a, a parking holiday uh in china bridge to support that and just so we understand a little bit about the inconvenience in order to replace the water main, I assume they're going to have to tear up the road. Will that basically cause it to be almost like a one-lane road, and, and, or will it take out parking? How, how, what will it look like, Bill? Sure. It, you know, if there were no businesses on Main Street, the, the, that section would be entirely shut down. Um, the way that work is going to be executed, they're going to target one side of the street first, allowing for one, one lane of access uh, on the other side. Uh, and then when that side is done, when the first side is done, they will swap over to the other side. Um, it's, it, you know, it, look, we, there was, I believe there was a water main break yesterday morning up near the Cotopaxi store. And, um, uh, you know, we've had several over the past few years. Uh, these are things we need to do. You know, we hate to disrupt uh, business here in town because we understand how important it is, but we got to get it done. Okay. Um, I think, I believe last night you said something that, that sort of led you from this concept to sort of set, talk about uh, where we are from an, from an overall parking strategy perspective. What would you like to see done? Yeah, there was some conversation last night uh, as we talked about, um, you know, the China Bridge and, and the water main replacement um, about our parking strategy. You know, you know parking strategy, uh, paid parking is a tool that, you, you know, is used in traffic demand management. Um, you know, sometimes we can overthink things a little bit. And, um, you know, there was some concerns. Uh, you know, I expressed some of them that parking, uh, you know, in town is a bit complicated. You got several different lots. You have several different times, several different pricings. Um, you know, we, we want to, the, the council would like to endeavor to figure out how to make it easier, make sure that we, you know, we maintain the revenue that we do to, you know, to, that funds our parking department, helps us keep the lots, you know, in good shape. But we want to make it easier for people to be in Main Street um, and, and manage the, the, excuse me, the demand as best we can. And uh, what, what kinds of innovations have, have we thought about more dynamic pricing? What, what, again, if you were sitting around and, and doing the spitballing about what might be done differently, give us some random thoughts that are certainly not binding. <laughs> there are a lot of topics that I dig deep in. Um, parking, not so much. We have an excellent um, uh, parking manager, Johnny Wadsden who uh, does an amazing job he presented to us last night. Um, you know, I can understand uh, his point of view. Um, he's going to get back to the drawing board and do some additional work on that. And I look forward to a future dialogue uh, about how we can do better. Okay. The light deed program was discussed last night. First of all, what is the light deed program? Interesting question, Roger. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, um, you know, it's the city spending money to purchase a deed restriction on homes. Um, when I when I first thought of, when I first thought about it, 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 it I thought of it in terms of it's a deed restriction that we're purchasing just to restrict homes from being short-term rentals. 
but the program was a little bit broader than that. It provided opportunities for, for folks who were looking to buy uh, in town um, and needed help with a down payment uh, you know, to make, to make that uh, work for them. Um, we had two of the, the two of the folks who participated in the program actually spoke at the council meeting last night. Um, you know, unfortunately, there wasn't the uptake on that program that the council expected. It was funded with a million dollars, um, I believe, about 16 months ago. Um, there was some outreach made. Um, I believe we funded three uh, of the applications, and there's a fourth pending right now. And we've used, uh, after that fourth, we'll, we will have used about 75-80% of the money. Um, we'd like to see the rest of that money used, and then we'd like to, you know, get the data and take a, uh, take a good look and see, you know, where, where we can do better. I, I guess the question is, is that an effective use of funds to achieve the goals you want to achieve? And I, I take it that's what you want to analyze. Yeah, look, and you could do a back-of-the-envelope cal calculation pretty easily. So the average fund, uh, the average uh, light deed fund funding uh, amount was 210000 um, For the engine house project that the city... Um, you know, did a public-private partnership with Jay Fisher and Company uh, over by the Boneyard. Um, the city's costs on a per-unit basis, and these are two-bedroom workforce affordable units, uh, was around $90,000. We, we're getting about 100 units out of that. That's $9 million. At $210,000 uh, in the light deed program, to purchase 100 light deeds, that's $21 million. So the question, it begs the question, is that the, is that the right investment to make? It, 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 are you getting the most leverage for yeah. your money? Is that, that's a, okay, yeah. so that's something you're going to continue to look at. Absolutely. But you, you sort of mentioned something else when you talk about the, 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 the fire project. Um, what do you see now as a realistic role for the city with respect to affordable housing going forward? I know that was a topic that did come up last night. Yeah, there were, we, you know, I'm, I'm really happy about the conversation we had last night. Um, we did talk about the need to really identify what the short-term seasonal um, uh, workforce rental looks like. And, you know, and, and if you think about that, um, you know, it's primarily uh, a J-1 type worker situation where they're here for three months. You know, the living arrangements for, for that worker don't necessarily need to be the year-round living arrangements for a family of four, right? So we need to figure out, we need to separate that demand out of the equation. And we, we had some conversation on that last night, and I'm hopeful we can um, work with our housing team to, to really understand that better and figure out how we can target that. On the, on the, on the flip side, um, you know, I want to, actually, I, I forgot to do this when we started, Roger, um, uh, a belated happy birthday to the mayor and Tana Tolley. We kind of fumbled on the execution of the birthday uh, presentation last night. I guess new council, that's what you get. But, um, you know, back to the mayor. The mayor made the comment last night that, um, you know, and, and you and I have talked about this in the past. I think we talked about this uh, maybe a year ago when, you know, what's now called East Village over at Deer Valley, when that begins operating in a couple of years, um, we are going to lose access to a significant portion of the workforce, the, the, the service industry workforce that comes out of the Heber Valley. Because why would you drive past East Village, Deer Valley, and continue for another 40 minutes into Park City, right, for the same, for the same wage? So I think, you know, we're going to be able to focus more acutely on uh, what the needs are for Park City and make sure that Park City keeps its economic engine running. Okay. Bill, you... Uh I've just started your term on council. Um, I want to get uh, sort of your initial observations. First thing, what's been surprising to you about the, the work and the nature of what you have to do? 
Yeah, great, great question, Roger. Um, you know, I, 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 I've been paying attention for a long time. I had, I had attended so many council meetings uh, over the past couple of years. You know, I can't say that I'm, I'm, I'm really su that surprised about anything, but what I, what I am hopeful about and what I, I've gotten some signs that have given me some hope is that there is a real appetite um, in City Hall to really think boldly about the future. Um, you know, we've got to figure out how to get our hands around that and harness, harness that, that willingness. Um, but I, I, I'm very hopeful that, you know, we can do some things that are, will make a meaningful, positive impact on the community. I often pull up the agenda and look at the packet long enough to see how long it is, um, but not long enough to read all of it. And that's, uh, how much time is it taking you to, to get ready for many, how much time has this job taken you a week so far, Bill? Uh, great question. Um, you know, the, one of the reasons why I chose to do this is because um, I have the time. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty much a full-time job, and, and that can vary depending on how much work someone is looking to put in. Um, as someone new on the council, um, you know, I'm, I'm erring on the side of too much work because I, I want to try to understand as much as I can, as deeply as I can, as quickly as I can, uh, because we have a lot to do here. I know that, um, say, people say wildlife showed up last night. Um, talk to us a little bit about uh, what, uh, where sort of the concept of or the issue of animal vehicle, animal vehicle collision prevention, boy, I can't say that three times quickly, um, ranks in terms of priority in your view. Yeah, look, I, I, I think it's a significant priority for, for Park City. If you think about what, what it means to live here in Park City, um, if you think about, if you, if you were to look at, you know, 10 years of, you know, online real estate ads for homes in Park City, you know, I bet you half of those had a picture of wildlife in there. If you look at our general plan, it talks about protecting the wildlife. If you read the conservation easements that we've given to uh, Summit Land Conservancy over in the Iron Mountain area, it talks about critical wildlife habitat. Um, we, we can't expect to live on this planet and not have an impact, but I think what we have a duty to do to do is to mitigate that impact on you know the the the, the creatures the flora and the fauna of this planet uh to the best of our ability um you know listen for me there's a there's a federal grant program a connecting wildlife uh program that's uh, 350 million dollars um i think that's something that park city should really consider uh, applying for to see if we can get some federal money to create some connectivity between the tens of thousands of acres up on the mountains on the you know the Wasatch Crest and all that open space that we're able to preserve over in Round Valley and the Swanner Preserve. When you talk about federal dollars that we should be taking advantage of that that can't help but bring to mind uh, uh, the conversation that was part of your campaign which is the <clears throat> notion of uh, can the Olympics be used as a vehicle to enhance the big picture mass transit opportunities here in Park City. Where do you stand in terms of trying to pursue that? Is that still something you believe that should be taken advantage of? 100%. We have an opportunity. There's an aligning of the stars that, you know, you may never get in a lifetime. We're fortunate to have that here with a confluence of events. Um, you know, the economic vitality of Park City, uh, the prospect of a, of a future Olympics in 2034, the state of Utah, which is rapidly growing, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, legislators and the governor, you know, strongly supporting more rail investment, uh, large federal programs supporting rail investment uh, and those things. 
we have an opportunity and you know and i'd like to see us push forward on that i i can say i'm really excited because i actually got to meet our new transportation director who just started uh in the past two weeks um yesterday um, we had a nice meeting and um you know he's forward thinking and he wants to wants to help us solve some of these acute issues that we have so uh, I'm confident we can move the needle forward on that, and 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 that will always be a focus of mine because I think that's the biggest, the biggest lift that we can do for the residents of Park City is is work on that that traffic transportation problem. Okay, in weeks to come, I, we'd like to talk more about how those concepts get turned into reality and what the game plan will be. But um, I think that's all we have time for today. Bill, thanks for spending time with us this morning. Thank you, Roger. Let's talk to Ember Connolly about the upcoming. Uh, uh, Park City Institute Summer Series. Uh, she's on the phone with us. She had hoped to be here, but she too is caught in that traffic. <laughs> and so please pay attention to your driving while you're talking to us, Amber, but thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, Roger. And yeah, traffic's a, a quite interesting this morning. Okay, so let's turn away from traffic because that group hasn't been around for years, and let's talk about the Park City Institute Summer Concert Series, which has been a highlight of the Park City Summer for many years. After some transition years, the Institute has settled into its new summer home at the Canyons. Ember Connolly is here to unveil the new schedule and let us know what to expect. Ember, first let's talk about the venue. For, for a number of years you were at Deer Valley and then there were some uncertain years. Talk about the Canyons venue. Right, they have come alongside us and just been an amazing partner. Um, with that, they have, um, because of the partnership that we have, it's been successful. They've put in a new and updated stage that's semi-permanent, which affords um, better experience, more seating, uh, and we're just really excited to be their partner. And the, traditionally, there have been both lawn seats and reserve seats. About how many reserve seats are going to be available for shows this year? Right. So we have over 500 reserve seats. So that's right in front. Um, they are the short lawn chairs that we're used to having, of course you know, from our Deer Valley uh, time. And then we have um, over 3,500 then lawn area seating where people can come in, pack their picnics, um, find a, a place both on each side of the reserve seating and then behind on that, on that lawn area. And, and in terms of parking, if you park down at the, at the, at the gondola, where the, where the gondola is, I take it it's just a very short walk from the top of the gondola over to the venue? You know, this is the beauty of canyons. You're able to have a huge parking lot, get on the uh, cabriolet, go straight up into the plaza, and it's one level. You go from the plaza straight into the ticketing, and you're at your seats. Um, we do have an amazing partnership with Pendry for our sponsors that we offer some parking at the Pendry. We do some pre-parties, and then we walk straight over, on, again, on that plaza area and um, enjoy the concert. Well, I suspect some of our listeners are saying, enough about logistics. Tell me what we're going to see. So, Ember, <laughs> let's, start, let's start with your personal favorite. What is the act that you are most looking forward to seeing this summer? Well, you know, I'm an 80s girl, so that's kind of hard because we have some um, singers and some bands that are definitely 80s representatives. So Starship with Mickey Thomas and Taylor Dane, I cannot wait for that concert. It's right after my birthday. So that's going to be uh, the birthday concert and my favorite, I'm sure, um, for the summer. And uh, we do have other types of 80s music coming in. We have our lead singers of classic rock. So if you like Chicago and Boston, right, they're more of the 70s but moved into the 80s, um, we have an, a, an incredible 
opportunity for them to come in on July the 20th. So, yeah, let's talk about that show because it's kind of interesting. Both uh, Jason Sheff and Tommy DiCarlo, they took uh, they, they both had stints as the front man for their respective bands. Like, I think Chef was the lead singer for Chicago for a number of years. Yes. And, 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 and with Boston, too. Right. No. So, you know, they've come together and they do different types of collaborations together. And so for us to be able to get them, um, and we know that Park City and our residents and visitors like Chicago, we had... Um, the original drummer of Chicago come in last year with a band and it was our biggest second biggest sell from last year so people love Chicago and the music of Chicago yeah and I know that that was a uh, Danny Seraphim was here last year and I know that you know one of the things he did was spend time with the local high school music department are, are uh, is the Institute able to sort of continue to do that as these musicians come in to try to encourage them to spend time with the with 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 the locals students Yep. So, so, you know, the summertime is unique because most of our kids, of course, are not wow. in school. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we're, um, because we're a nonprofit, because we love our student engagement and our outreach programs, and we're expanding that, we're actually working with our tech crew to do some student intern programs for our students as we look at careers in entertainment. This is a perfect opportunity for students to get hands-on learning. We talked a little bit about 70s and 80s music, which I am partial to, but you have, uh, among, the thing, <laughs> among the things you've programmed is a band that goes back to the 60s, which is the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. When are they coming? Right. So they're coming in August the 10th. This is their farewell tour, so this is a big deal. And, you know, they really spanned this, this music of, like you said, in the 60s and the 70s, and they're still, you know, their hits, when you hear their music, you know, even our young generations know the nitty-gritty dirt band. Um, but again, just super excited. They were here a couple of years ago, so we're excited to welcome them back on their farewell tour on August the 10th. And, you know, kind of in that same, they bridged the music in, lot, in, in different genres. Um, moving into our country, we were really intentional this year about our programming, trying to have a, a diversified experience that lots of people can enjoy so we have um two big country singers coming in randy hauser uh, and josh turner so randy hauser is july the 24th josh turner is august the 24th we know that we have um lovers of country and so excited to welcome them okay so we've sort of t touched on country um we've uh sort of touched on 60s and 70s do we have uh, any music for people who were born in the 21st century Yes, we do. And so it's, it, it's really kind of fun. Um, last night at the reveal, uh, one, when we revealed Spoon, it was, who is Spoon? And the very next person said, oh, my God, Spoon's coming. Um, and, and it really represented that younger crowd. So we do have Spoon coming in August the 11th. But the one that we're super excited, it's a sister um, duet, and they're hip. They have millions of viewers, of course, on YouTube, Ali and AJ. We don't have the date set for Ali and AJ, but they're going to be like the, and I don't know if you were at the Jacks concert this last year where we had our, our 10 to 14-year-old, um, mostly girls, screaming at the concert because of Jacks. So Ali and AJ are going to be that same kind of flavor. 
And, and again, how long will it take you to finalize the date on that, and when will that be released? You know, we're very close, and we have a couple other acts that we're very close to, to being able to share, but we're in, we're in that middle of, of contract negotiations, so stay tuned for those. But, you know, uh, two others that I want to highlight, and that's Blitz and Trapper. People are going to go, who is Blitz and Trapper? But it's more of that kind of Americana, um, they actually call themselves Countrypolitan, which is really kind of funny, um, but great music. It's going to be our opening act in July the 9th. And another one, this was one of my dad's favorites, so it's kind of near and dear to my heart, but UB40 is coming in with their Red Red Wine Tour with special guests of Inner Circle and Maxi Priest, which is an interesting mix, that mix right there, but it's going to be an outstanding evening. Now, many of and our, that's July the 19th. Now, many of our listeners are going to be familiar with some of the music of UB40, but how would you, I mean, probably without knowing that it was UB40 that was in fact playing music, you know, a song like Red Red Wine, how would you characterize, what, what genre do we stick UB40 into? You know, they kind of mix that, that reggae kind of rock. Um, they're kind of a mix, and they've done some, you know, they did some um, movie um, you know, music. So people are going to know that music. Uh, definitely, but that's interesting. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out what, what bucket to put them in because they do have they do have a fair amount of reggae going on. Well, let's come back to Blitz and Trapper, who's coming up. Um, again, what kind of music? How do we characterize their music? You, you, we sort of started to talk about it, but I'd like to flesh that out a little bit. Yeah, um, that's a great question. How would I really characterize? Well, they, you know, they have a lot of that, um, um, like when I say Americana, right? So it's, it's that guitar, acoustic, singer-songwriter, super fun, um, definitely more modern, um, but it crosses over to country. That's a beautiful thing about bringing in some of these bands that people aren't completely familiar with, and then they fall in love with their music. And let's face it, we've already talked about the venue. When you're outside enjoying, you know, the beautiful mountains and listening to live music on a beautiful stage, um, it's just an incredible experience. So now has the complete schedule been posted on your website yet? It has not. Okay. Um, right now, um, because of the reveal, thank you for coming last night, um, we open it up to our sponsors. We have an incredible group of sponsors as a nonprofit that we depend on, right? We don't make it alone with ticket sales. So as a, as a thank you, we give our sponsors the opportunity. Now, if you're interested in sponsors, uh, being a sponsor, that is on our website with our packages. So we're ready for that. So then we're um, giving uh, our sponsors a, a week to select their experiences, their um, bands, we also unveiled a membership program this year, so for our summer, so that's on our website, and the membership ranges from $50 all the way up to $500, and that just gives you early access and some general admission tickets, and then we open it up to our general public. Well, so, uh, I want you to take the opportunity, Amber, to talk a little bit more about what, what does sponsorship entail and what kinds of prices, what kinds of donations are you looking for in that range? Right, so you know, um, our sponsorships start at twenty five hundred dollars, and they range, and then of course they go all the way up into corporate sponsors of one hundred and fifty thousand. And when we look at the benefits of being a sponsor, there's a couple things that I think really um, make it distinct. One is those reserved seats that we talked about. 
So the sponsorships includes, include an X number, right, a, a select number of those reserved seats. You also get general admission seats. Um, they also, we have um, pre-party access. So not only do we have pre-parties at the Pendry, we have teamed up with the Fox School of Wine. We're going to be doing some wine tastings in our tent um, before uh, the event. And then we also have, uh, of course, the promo materials, right? So our banners, our website, where sponsors get their recognition there. And last but not least, they get tickets to our Winter Gala, which is our annual Saints and Centers Masquerade Ball. That is our annual fundraiser where 100% of the funds goes to our initiatives. We have two initiatives. One is provide, providing uh, performing art outreach for our students in Summit County. We're expanding this year to make sure that all students in Summit County receive this benefit. And the last initiative is our creative aging, where we have artists working with our seniors at the Senior Center. So that, um, the perks of being a sponsor, you get tickets to that annual gala. And again, uh, we only have a little bit of time left, but Amber, uh, for those who are just interested in the Saints and Sinners Ball, which, uh, when is that coming up and how can they get more information and, and, and purchase tickets? Yep, so it's on our website, www.parkcityinstitute.org. It's March the 16th at State Regis Deer Valley. They're an amazing um, sponsor and supporter of the arts. Um, and it starts at 6 p.m. We have a champagne savoring. We're going to have some uh, live entertainment. And I will say in the last couple of years, we've had some um, guests that were really unexpected, like Kitty Loggins and Huey Lewis that just happened to be there. Um, so you never quite know what, to, uh, what you're going to get. You have a full plated dinner and then live music. So it's just a great time throughout. So March the 16th. Okay, Amber. Thanks. We've been speaking with Amber Colony, <laughs> the executive director of the Park City Institute about the upcoming summer series. Thanks, Amber. Thanks, Roger. You've been listening to the local news hour. If you're stuck in traffic, please be patient out there. It is bad all over.